Welcome to Dealcast, the weekly M&A podcast presented to you by Merger Market and SS&C Intralinks. I'm Juliana Needham, a journalist who's been covering M&A for a decade. This week's special episode is in partnership with Aberdeen. In it, we'll be examining the challenges European dealmakers are facing in regard to sustainability and ESG criteria in private equity investments. I'm joined by Aberdeen's Head of Strategy Innovation for Private Equity, Alistair Watson, and also by Investment Manager, Kanika Goella. Hi, Kanika. Hi, Alistair. Thanks very much for joining me today. Hi. Hi there. So can we begin with you, Kanika? What are the challenges of assessing sustainability or ESG criteria in private equity? So Juliana, um, sustainability is a broad topic, right? And the first and foremost challenge that arises is that different people mean different things when they talk about sustainability, which leads to a lot of misunderstanding and confusion. So maybe I can just set it in context of how we see uh, the, within the uh, see it within the investing space. So sustainable investing practices are focused on delivering financial returns, but also long-term environmental or social value. That broad topic. Uh, covers ESG-focused investing, it covers thematic investing, as well as impact investing. So ESG investing practices will typically focus on identifying and pricing environmental, social, and governance risks to a business, and then uh, translating that into your investment criteria. A thematic investing will typically focus on identified outcomes that you want to achieve through your portfolio. Uh, which could say, for example, uh, be related to people and planet, like example in a healthcare strategy. And impact investing is focused on intention of delivering a positive and measurable social and financial impact alongside financial returns. So it could be investing behind technologies, for example, which help decarbonization. So to put it very simply, ESG practices focus on how a business does things. So it's more inward looking. And impact and thematic investing practices uh, focus on what a business does. So that's the environmental and social impact delivered from its products and services. So the next challenge that becomes uh, that comes up is that different fund managers and different investors have different criteria on how they apply these practices uh, on a day-to-day basis, right? And there is no agreed or commonly accepted standard of best practices. So what looks good to someone may not look good to someone else. What's acceptable to someone may look great to someone else. Uh, and there, you know, there, there are differences within in the industry. And that, that is what, uh, you know, leads to a lot of cha- uh, challenges in assessing uh, ESG and sustainability. Yeah, the standardization of how to have an agreed framework, I guess. Yes. And yeah, it becomes very philosophical. Yeah. And Alistair, anything to add to that? Yeah, I think we are making, I think, significant progress in, in ESG and sustainability just now within our industry. But we, I would say we're in, we're in a slightly frustrating phase where we're really trying to catch up in terms of reporting. So being able to report on key metrics rather than, than really focusing on action. And so what we're always trying to do in terms of our investments when we're investing with fund managers or in companies is really emphasize the action because there's such a a positive opportunity that private equity can take. Um, so it's all very well investing in 
companies that you can you can regard as sustainable. But what we're really trying to do, I think, for some of our clients is invest in in businesses that are genuinely changing for the positive or businesses that are providing solutions because there's huge environmental and social challenges that we're all aware of. And we, we really need to act now and make that progress. Thank you. And that brings us nicely onto the next question. Looking at the parameters of ESG, there have been a lot of changes over the last 12 to 18 months. When it comes to the move towards net zero, there's been a big rise in energy prices following the invasion of Ukraine, although they've gone down slightly since. Bringing coal back online, talking about gas. Kanika, can you tell us how have the parameters of ESG changed as a whole to bring us to this point mid-2023? I would say the parameters of ESG practices per se haven't changed because of these uh, in the context of the war or rising energy prices. The what investors focus on might have uh, might have changed, right? So if you come back to ESG practices, uh, as you were saying, there are different philosophies that different investors are, uh, and practitioners are following in the in the market. Uh, and I read this really interesting report, which uh, breaks it down in a, in a very simple and easy to understand analogy. So, for example, you say. We should eat more vegetables and vegetables are good for us. So you could be a vegan and just have a plant-based diet, or you could choose to reduce your meat intake and increase your uh, uh, vegetable intake. Or you could say, look, I'm having pizza and I'm loading that with, you know, tomato sauce and that that has vegetables. Uh, So if you translate that, you know, so the vegan is an ESG purist. Uh, you know, the one who is trying to reduce their meat intake is an ESG pragmatist. And the third philosophy is an ESG pluralist. Uh, so, you know, what we try to do is uh, for us in private equity, we will exclude certain sectors, for example, weaponry, uh, uh, oil and gas, etc. But uh, and then also take into account what the managers are doing or what the companies are doing in terms of ESG practices. Uh, but an oil and gas focused fund could just say, look, we are focused on you know, changing the operations of this company and making them greener. And, you know, it could be decarbonization of their operations. It could be better employee health and safety, better DE&I. And, you know, they, they consider that's positive ESG progress. And Alistair, coming to you on that one. I think it's important to emphasize that everybody focuses on the environmental aspects of ESG. Uh, but I think in the last few years, there's been increasing focus I think importantly on, on the social and governance aspects, particularly on the social. So we see much more emphasis where we're looking at investments on things like, you know, areas like gender diversity, employee engagement, treatment of employees. Um, and I think these are really important aspects when we think about both about ESG and also sustainability of businesses. Thank you. And staying with you, Anastar, where is the pressure to invest in ESG coming from? And to what extent is ESG transforming investments when it comes to private equity and also companies looking to do M&A? There's a huge I would say generational change that's that's been happening over the last few years. So if you look within our own team, investments that we might have made five or ten years ago, they're not bad investments per se. But there's probably investments that we would not we would not make today. And there's a real push from our next generation of investment team and and other employees who are really pushing us on all the the aspects of ESG and sustainability to make better decisions and more informed decisions. So it's happening from within our own team. I think the the other thing I'd say is that the, our clients and the the end asset owners are are really pushing hard on these aspects. It's becoming absolutely paramount to to focus on these areas. 
And you say it's a generational thing. Do you see the younger generation, without moving too much into cliches here, but do you see the younger generation, both in terms of the people that you work with and the investors, being hotter on those social aspects of ESG? Absolutely. Absolutely. We had, we were talking about this yesterday. There was an investment a couple of years ago where there was a very, very interesting investment opportunity, which has, has ended up performing extremely well from a financial perspective. But we we had to decline it for ESG reasons, really focused on social and reputational issues. And it was younger members of our team that, that challenged us and really pushed on those points, which I think was fantastic to see. And we're seeing that more and more. When we look more more broadly, it's I think the ESG and sustainability focus has really started in Europe. Um, so we've really seen countries like France, the Netherlands, the Nordics really taking the lead. I think the UK now, there's a lot of focus within the pension funds and, and within new governmental regulation that's really going to drive, I think, positive change in the next, the next few years. Great. Thank you. And, and staying with you, Alistair, linked to that to an extent, greenwashing is, is a major topic. And there are some signs of pushback from investors who see their firms as placing too much emphasis on ESG. What are your thoughts on that? Greenwashing is, is a real challenge. It's something that all of our investors bring up with us. Uh, it link, it's linked to the first point I made really around action versus reporting, glossy marketing versus actually doing something and making making changes and really pushing for changes within the companies themselves. Um, the the regulation is is very strict, um, and I think the you know you'll see for example that the UK regulation that's expected to come in over the next couple of years, the the SDR, that's really focused on addressing this this issue around around greenwashing. Um, we we have we we try to invest in people that are of very high high integrity, both our fund managers and our underlying companies, and we're really trying to, as I say, move from a, a sort of negative screening that we might have had five years ago to to really making positive investment decisions. You know, within sustainable companies that want to improve in terms of sustainability and companies that want to provide solutions to some of these major challenges. Thank you, and Kanika, coming back to you. Can we talk about the rise of impact funds in recent years? What's driving this? And is private capital best positioned to help drive impact? Yes, so definitely, Juliana, we are seeing a rise in the demand for impact investing or sustainability-focused investing, and therefore it's an increase in supply. So if you if you look, it's uh, within private equity is one of the uh, fastest-growing asset classes, growing at about 30% per annum though it's still a very tiny part of the overall private equity AUM. But we've seen an acceleration, especially over the last couple of years, uh, So, especially if you look at 2022, 23, where thematically private equity fundraising has been quite challenged, but impact of sustainability-focused investing has been one of the areas of growth uh, where uh, significant capital is still being uh, deployed towards. Uh, so just for as an example, in 2022 alone, about 8.5 billion euros was raised by impact funds, which are focused on Europe, which is four times the amount which was raised the previous year. And then what is driving this is, you know, similar to what Alistair was saying earlier, it's really investor demand and wanting to align capital uh, in line with your values. It started with family offices and uh, development financial institutions, but it is definitely becoming more mainstream among institutional investors as their clients um, ask for more exposure. Uh, And then thematically again, uh, yes, social invest. You, you, you know, the, the social outcomes are good, uh, but 
if you if you look at the overall AUM, it's definitely climate change focused strategies uh, which are uh, garnering most interest into uh, uh, in in the market, and that's driven by the drive to you know net zero, especially in in Europe and and in the US as well. So whether private capital is well placed, so I. I think we would argue definitely, yes, private capital is very well placed to drive that impact. And that comes from one, just the governance rights, uh, uh, that, that we have. So whether you're a venture fund or uh, a buyout fund, you'd have a board representation, you'd have significant voting rights, et cetera. So really ability to influence a company's operations. And second is a longer holding horizon as well, where you can see some of that go through. Great. Thank you. And staying with you, Kanika. Can you explain briefly, if possible, what is an Article 9 fund? I'll try my best to explain it briefly. Uh, so it's an Article 9 fund. So it's the Sustainable uh, Finance Disclosure Re- uh, Regulation, which was introduced by European Commission. And it basically puts uh, strong ESG-related disclosure requirements on asset managers and financial market participants. And that's partly to address the a point we were discussing earlier about greenwashing, uh, and just to make a you know make it more transparent playing field for investors, uh, especially for investors. So there are three product uh, product classifications under SFDR, which is Article Six, which is a fund which does not integrate any sort of sustainability criteria into their decision making. You have Article Eight funds, which are light green funds, which promote social or environmental characteristics. And then we have Article 9, which are dark green funds. And these are products which target sustainable investment and 100% of their investments will be deemed sustainable. Great. And coming to you next, Alistair, can a GP actually adhere to all of the requirements of Article 9? It's a, it's a good question. Um, we, we're seeing some managers choose to be Article 9 and others choose to be Article 8 plus. You, you might want to refer to Kanika for a precise definition of that, but we we do think managers can adhere to the requirements of of Article Nine, um, but it's evolving in terms of the the landscape. I think people are having to take significant advice from lawyers, auditors, but it's really a practice that's developing. Um, yes, yeah, so, so so frustratingly, I think the the Article Nine regulation it, it works fairly well for larger companies that can report and provide all information upfront during due diligence processes, and maybe for for high growth venture companies that also can provide that data. But there's a huge um, area within the middle market, smaller companies, for example, buyout businesses um, that haven't been able to report their carbon footprint yet. So, so you might be able, you might think a company is, is sustainable, it's improving, it has a very strong culture, but you can't at this stage define that, that investment as an Article 9 because you cannot get all the information during the due diligence phase. So I think that's that's the big challenge, and and it's an area that m- means a lot of people are having to move to Article Eight Plus or, or Article Eight. Thank you. And it sounds like there it, it's quite an onerous admin burden for all all of the companies involved. It, it absolutely is, and what we have to remember is, we, particularly in the buyer arena, when you're when you're trying to win an investment, you're trying to you're having to do due diligence fairly quickly. You're having to move through a process. You're having to convince the management team to work with you. If you can't get, if you're an Article 9 fund competing with an Article 8 fund, it could be that the Article 8 fund is, is able to win that deal because they don't have all those extra requirements, even if, you know, the, you know so, so it's pretty challenging. And so, Alistair, what are your thoughts on that? What are the next challenges in sustainability and what do you have your eye on? I think one aspect that 
is often missed from the discussion is that private equity tends to focus on on asset light businesses so on on software that is enabling enabling change enabling efficiency for example there is a there's a huge opportunity um that's actually required to make the change we need in areas such as space tech you know areas like ev batteries um areas in healthcare that are very capex intensive so i think there needs to be discussion even at the governmental level as to how to finance these capex heavy projects that that are going to be important in terms of making that change over the next 10 or 20 years so debt financing and equity financing that's more suitable for those types of strategies and kanika let's finish by looking at what the next challenges are in sustainability what do you have your eye on so i would say three things uh one is a bit more philosophical not missing the wood for the trees uh second is data and third is returns so what i mean by the first is uh, really not to as asset owners or investors not to get too caught up by regulatory uh, labels and you you know you really need to look under the hood understand strategy understand details of what the manager is doing and then make a judgment call on whether it's impactful in your view uh and really not let perfect become the enemy of good um the second is data i think al was mentioning earlier we are collecting a lot of data uh, non financial kpis from companies and it will only increase with increasing regulation csdr uh, sdr etc uh and so the ability to just make sense of all of that data which is not as aggregable or comparable like balance sheet or pnl metrics are is a challenge and then how to interpret analyze it and then prioritize what data gather and to measure and report right to really go meaningfully from the what so what to the now what the action that al was referring to earlier is a challenge the industry needs to go through and and resolve over time um and the third is returns uh, it's very encouraging to see investor interest and a lot of funds being raised in the space but if you look at impact investing historically uh, the results the financial returns have been mixed So we as asset managers currently want to focus on strategies where the managers are truly differentiated and disciplined in in terms of pricing to be able to deliver good financial returns. Uh we are seeing some track records emerge which is very very encouraging again. Uh but we just need to see more of that evidence to to really uh you know convince the broader investor community that this is uh, an attractive uh, asset class to invest behind. Great, thank you. And Alistair coming to you with the same question what do you have your eye on what are the what are the next challenges in sustainability i think something that's often missed is that private equity tends to focus on asset light business models so software for example that's that's helping to to enable enable environmental change and efficiency i think when you look at investing in traditional industries or in industries that are are going to change things going forward such as space technology or you know for example ev batteries or th- those types of those types of sectors private equity today as its structure is probably not set up to to finance those those capital intensive uh, deals those deals are and and companies are going to be super important in in the, ch- in the change we've talked about in, in environmental change over the next 10 20 30 years so i think in discussions with government and with in end investors we need to find a better way of financing those those types of projects thinking about debt capital government incentives and and how to structure the equity investing in those areas 
Sorry, I was just going to add on to that. It's also encouraging alongside private equity uh, strategies also to see uh, infrastructure strategies raise a lot of money. And that's, again, you know, keep missing part of the piece of the puzzle to, to bring it all together. Right, Kanika and Alistair, thanks very much. That was Kanika Guela, Investment Manager, and Alistair Watson, Head of Strategy Innovation for Private Equity, both from Aberdeen. Thanks for listening to this week's special episode of DealCast presented by Merger Market and SS&C Intralinks in partnership with Aberdeen. Please rate, review and follow the podcast. You'll find us on Apple, Spotify or look out for your Merger Market news alert. For more information, have a look at our show notes. Join us again next week.